Hello and welcome to Versify, uh, the poetry and English literature podcast. That is what it's called, yeah. Uh, thank you very much for joining us. Uh, if it is your first time, uh, we are going to be uh, t- tackling uh, a mighty name from the from the history of um, the poetic canon. Um, and if uh, you are rejoining us, uh, for a, I, i.e. you have uh, subjected yourself to any of our former podcasts, uh, then welcome back and thank you very, very much for joining us again. I'm, I'm here uh, with, uh, with Rob. Hello. We're actually in the room, in the same room, in a sort of, uh, you know, in, a, in, a, in the COVID era, this is, unusually, this is a very unusual situation to actually see your face. I think it's, uh, we're within the sort of um, regulatory framework to be within the same room, do you think? Well, in Eastbourne we are, yeah, we're still a tier three, we can do what we like. We could be, I don't know, trampolining together as we could. Like, <laughs> it doesn't make any difference what we're doing. You seem to have aged since I last saw you, though, Dan. Uh, really? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, it will have been. It's been a while. It's, yeah, been, it's, it's been, been a long a time. It's been a long time since we recorded actually in the same room. I don't know what, what was the last time we actually did one we did together. Well, the three of us have never done one together, have we? In the actual same room. No, so basically, ever, ever since David's. Uh, so the last one we've been like Edward Thomas, we were actually in the same yeah, room yeah, for. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and, and I'm also, we are also joined uh, by David, who, as you may have gathered, is, uh, is, is, is remotely uh, joining us. David, how are you? Uh, I'm extremely well. Thanks very much. I hope you both are as well. Uh, and without, thank you, I am. Without giving anything away, David, how are you feeling about tonight's subject? Very differently to last time. I felt like I was on, on safe, secure ground with Wendy Cope. Um, with William Carlos Williams, I'm on, I don't know, what, thin ice? Whatever the opposite is of safe ground. I think William Carlos Williams might have lineated thin and ice and had them on separate separate lines of the, of the verse, perhaps. <laughs> <laughs> um... So, uh, as I say, if you are joining us for the first time, there's a few things we like to do. And the first of those is just to quickly uh, pick up the, 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 the subject of our previous podcast, um, who was, in this instance, Wendy Cope. And just to um, see if um, post-facto, as it were, we've had any thoughts that we wanted to correct or, or, or add to that. Uh, can I invite you, David, to respond first to that? Yeah, I don't think I made any crashing errors. If I if I did, no one's no one's mentioned it. She has she hasn't been in touch as we sort of mentioned last time. <laughs> She's the only yeah. only one of the poets that we've covered so far that could have possibly yeah. listened and, and got in touch, but sadly she has written in angrily. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, maybe it's a good thing that she's. Uh, yeah. I'll tell you what, I, I, I listened to the Wendy Cope one and I and as I was listening to it, I had so many clever things that I was going to say. I thought, oh, I must say that when we get to the next <laughs> podcast. But it was so long ago. It was like a month ago, wasn't it? So it was so long ago that now I can't remember. I feel like I might have even written it down somewhere in some journal or other. Yeah. Must remember this. Must remember to say this and this and this so I could seem super clever yeah. and, um, and thoughtful and like I've really considered it subsequently. And um, unfortunately, I did consider it subsequently. <laughs> <laughs> since then it's all okay. filtered away well i i, I, I think that um listeners will have gleaned by now the sort of um level of preparation uh, that's gone into this so if we had had any thoughts i mean other than to say uh, no i i don't remember any 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 standout errors in the past we have made big errors about dates or, or whatever and we've we've used this moment to correct them so if we don't have anything in i our, did go and buy another uh, book 
Oh, did you? Yeah. So, w- w- so you had making cake, making cocoa for King's, King's Lemons, and I bought that next one, the one that the, Dave, the one that the uh, the orange was from. What was that book mm. called again? Serious concerns. Um, serious concerns. Which I've got, I've got with me right now. Serious concerns. Because it, yeah, it contains a, a poem about William Carlos Williams. Well, not really about yeah. him, but it mentions him fairly heavily. That is in, enormously meat. Maybe now is the time to hear that poem because um, we don't have anything else in in our cope section. No. And I, could I, there be a, a more on-point segue between mm. one poet and the next, which is, in fact, one poet writing about the next? Yeah, let's hear it, David. We need to, from, from now on, we have to do that, don't we? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We have to find a poem by the, the current poet that's about the next one. I, don't, yes. I think we may struggle there, but it'll be like that seven degrees of Kevin Bacon game. Yeah. I'm already, I'm already thinking. Well, we could do, we could do. Keats talks about Chapman's Homer, so we could go into Chapman's Homer. He no doubt references anyway. Eventually, okay. we're going to hit a cul-de-sac, aren't we? Um, so yeah, this is for uh, this is called "So Much Depends," um, and it is from, as Rob says, the uh, the collection "Serious Concerns," which is Wendy Cope's second collection. And uh, it goes like this, as, as so many of her poems do, it starts with a little uh, kind of quotation epigram, epigraph, um, which is, and another thing, I gave in far too easily over William Carlos Williams. That's not attributed to anyone. Uh, and this is the poem. I can't remember what you said about him. Was it thumbs down or the big hurrah? When it comes to William Carlos Williams, I've no idea what your opinions are. I argued with you. That seems most unlikely. I may have looked attentive for a while. I've searched my head for William Carlos Williams, and there is very little in the file. I'll fight with you about important issues, like who should buy the bread or clean the sink. But when it comes to William Carlos Williams, dearest, I really don't mind what you think. Yes, mutter darkly, well perhaps you ought to, and fire offensive weapons from those eyes. When it comes to William Carlos Williams, it won't do any good. I will not rise. Fantastic. Fabulous. Yeah, very good. Very funny. It's interesting. I mean, she, 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 she wrote, as we discovered on our last pod, uh, uh, it, with reference to a lot of poets. Uh, so I suppose it's not extraordinary that she should have considered um, William Carlos Williams. But I think what she writes about him is interesting, isn't it? This idea that... Um, it didn't stick. It didn't stick in her head very much. That's 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 the inference I'm getting from the, yeah, the poem you've just read. Yeah. Uh, well, the the argument and the uh, I, the that comment about um, uh, when I search my head for William Carlos Williams, there isn't much in the file. Uh, is you know that that's completely true of me. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. There's nothing in the file. There is no file. <laughs> Uh, okay, D- thank you so much, David. I think that, that is a perfect... but but also there's a, so there's another little joke going on there, which is that this 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 man in her life is somehow defining himself by his opinions about yeah poets like William Carlos Williams. Like somehow they, there's something important. He thinks there's something important about it somehow, but she's she's failed to pay attention. Well, I think I, actually when when when, 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 when when David shared that poem just a short time ago, I thought that. Um, it was a bit of a dangerous thing to start the pod with because, in a way, we're now setting ourselves, in a way, up to either agree or disagree with Wendy Cope. And if we disagree, we might look like the man in the poem who is, <laughs> who is, who is pic- pictured rather negatively. But uh, I don't, uh, Dan, I think Wendy Cope has got our number, mate. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, per- perhaps, she should, perhaps she should use it. Uh, just, just joking. Maybe <laughs> I mean, this is the time she gets in touch. Yeah. 
so thank you. If there's nothing more on the coda, as we pretentiously call it, we'll move on to our next section of the pod. And what we do here, listener, is um, we have a quiz question each. Uh, and uh, look at the way Robin's face is looking, suggesting that he's about to go on Wikipedia. You're about to hear his mouse scrape across the <laughs> desk as he de- desperately tries to find a quiz question. So perhaps on that basis, I will start. Mine is more of a lecture <laughs> than a question. <laughs> oh, um, whoopee do. <laughs> but I, I'm going to break it down into a few different questions. I'll break, I'll break it down into sort of three or oh, four brilliant. questions. So it'll be like quick fire questions. Yeah, yeah. I love, love the sound of this. Okay. Um, so the first question is, in which v- slim volume of verse was William Carlos Williams first published? Um, Actually, I say he was first published. That might not be true. In which slim volume of verse... Uh, with a French title. <laughs> ah, okay, that's helped. Um, so presumably that, that is Des Imagistes. When was Des Imagistes published? And bonus, where? You only need to give me the country. Um, is Rob still doing research into his own question? or is it? Just yeah, man, <laughs> you, you, so this is a fully on you. I, I, Dave, the, the, the answer is I don't know any of the answers to any of these questions. So okay. it's on you. Right. Dan's gone Dan's gone into a, into a, into a um, into quite a few questions. So I just can see, I can't read his writing, but I can just see squiggles on a piece of paper. <laughs> this is going to go on a while. Excellent. So you might want to get yourself right. a drink, put your feet up. Okay. Well, so I, you turn I, the, tally on. the date is going to be somewhere around uh, just post... First World War, isn't it? It's going to be about 1919, maybe 1920. 1914. Oh, really? Earlier than I thought. Okay. And do you want to have a stab at the country? It sounds like it should be France. Yeah, I assumed it would be France because you kind of thought, yeah, Paris, whatever, cool. Mm. But um, no, it was um, it was uh, it was New York. Uh, yeah, I mean, they were just massively influenced by by French poets, weren't they? The the, sort of the early modernists, the imagists, as they called themselves. So they were, it was like, you know, Ram, Baudelaire and Rambeau and that, that bunch. So that's, I guess that's probably why they went for the, the French-sounding name. Yes. Right. I've got a question. Oh, I've awesome. got a question. Uh, in his autobiography, William Carlos Williams wrote that he felt that a particular poem had set me back 20 years, and I'm sure it did. Uh, what poem is he describing when he just says that one poem... His reading of it was so crushing, so utterly crushing, that it set him back 20 years. I'm going to guess The Wasteland. It's yeah. Bullseye, Dave. <laughs> you got it. Yes, it was The Wasteland, yeah. Yeah, he said that uh, Elliot returned us to the classroom just at the moment when I felt we were on a point to escape to matters much closer to the essence of a new art form itself. Great question. Straight just off Wikipedia, mate. There yeah. from Wikipedia. I see your, methodology, your methods at work here, Rob. Um, so we've had uh, we've had two questions. David, do you have a quiz question? I do. Um, okay. I've uh, I'd forgotten I had this book, and it's an absolute treasure trove for the quiz, the literary quiz master. I'm going to use it again, that's for sure. But anyway, um, it's called Stranger Than Fiction, a book of literary lists. It was bought for me by a friend a number of years ago, and uh, William Carlos Williams features only once in this book. Uh, on a list of authors who were also doctors <clears throat> or who held down, as it says here, who held down medical jobs. So not all doctors, but you know, medical professionals of some kind at some point in their careers. Um, there's 15 writers on this list, one of whom is William Carlos Williams. Can you both name at least one of the other Walt Whitman. medical writers? 
Walt Whitman was a doctor in the Amer- in the American Civil War. Well, that's interesting because he's not featured on this list. Well, that's um, that. You want that that book is bullshit though. <laughs> maybe, maybe Whitman didn't have like a job as a doctor. Maybe he just. Yeah, I think he was like a field doctor in the army. Yeah, really. Okay. Okay. Well, well if you, if yeah, you, I think he, he, I think he experienced extremely traumatic scenarios. Wait, am I making that up? Probably. Yeah. I, I, really? I, I never yeah. heard that. Walt Whitman was a doctor in the in the Civil War. I might be wrong about that. Well, I was <laughs> deferring to you because I know you quite like Whitman. Yeah, I do like um, Whitman, but I might be confused. I do like the idea that, that some Civil War soldier was, you know, badly wounded on the battlefield and looked up and... I mean, have you ever seen Walt Whitman? Yeah, he, he didn't always have that massive beard, though, did he? Let's face not. it. Ernest Hemingway had a relationship with a nurse. I don't suppose that counts. Um, <laughs> no, that doesn't count. I've got another one, though. Go on. Uh, but I don't think it will be on your list. But, but Dr. Polidori... He was uh, a doctor of sorts. Uh, yeah, he doesn't qualify, I'm afraid. Not, no, you're looking for real proper. Writer. Yeah, I mean, these, these are some, uh, say, yeah, some pretty big names here. One or two that I don't really know at all. I've, heard, I've certainly heard of them all, but the, some of them, several of them are genuinely famous. Um, okay, I'll give you a clue. The first name on this list, uh, his one famous novel is set in a hospital, a, a specific type of hospital, and he clearly wrote from experience because he worked in a psychiatric hospital. Who wrote One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest? Ken Kesey. you got that between you. There's another one. He's more famously... He was a, a well-known to be an eye doctor, while also being a famous author. Hmm. He's um, famous for one character, mainly. Give us a rough... Steve Coogan. Uh, yeah, created the in uh, t- end of the, towards the end of the Victorian era. Created one of the most enduring fictional characters of all time, Arthur Conan Doyle. Yeah, there we go. Oh, of course, yes. Although, did Arthur Conan Doyle ever practice as a as a doctor? For yeah, yeah. Long? He was he was definitely a proper doctor. Was he a proper An doctor? Oculist. Okay, that's a good shout. Oh, excuse that. me. Excuse who who's me? <laughs> Walt Whitman. Although best known for his work as an American poet, is also remembered for the care he gave to thousands of sick and injured soldiers in Washington, D.C. hospitals during the Civil War. I thank you. Bravo. I couldn't have made it up. No. Okay. But, David, if I may say, um, and I don't know if any putative listeners would, would agree with this, the way that you phrased that question, particularly as we know that Carlos Williams actually was a doctor for like 45 years. He was the head of paediatrics at a hospital. And he, was a, he fully was a doctor yeah. who, wrote, who wrote poetry in his spare time. The people that you've cited don't seem to match up quite to the kind of full professional status that William Carlos Williams had as a doctor. Well, I think, to be fair, Conan Doyle definitely would have, you know, that was his career, and he just happened to create an enormously popular character, therefore became more of a writer than a doctor, but he didn't really... Uh, you're, you're saying he's more Jack the Ripper, whereas William Carlos Williams is more Harold Shipman, like a real jobbing doctor. Do you know what I mean? Like he's, 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 really on the, he's really on the beat. You know what I mean? There's also there's one or two others here that uh, you might... So uh, Chekhov, apparently, was a doctor. Mm. Okay. Um, Agatha Christie was a nurse. I don't know if that was probably just during uh, the war, For, maybe. First World War, probably. Yeah. Um, there's an obvious one, actually, who... who um, if we if we're extending medicine to animals, James um, Herriot. Yeah, oh. uh, <laughs> you can't have James Herriot as a doctor. Well, I've, I've, I've just, you can. I've just scored the point. Yeah, yeah. Oh, right. fair enough. Yeah, um, 
Yeah. Uh, Smollett, apparently, was a naval surgeon, the 18th century author. Okay. And uh, Brecht, as well, was on here. He was a hospital oh. orderly. Okay, okay. But yeah, William Carlos Williams, as you say, um, a paediatrician. I've got a feeling that Roger of Roger's Thesaurus. Yes, he was, yeah, he was a doctor. Fame. He was. A, he again was in the William Carlos Williams mould. Someone who was an actual sort of fifty year. Old, I wonder if on his year. card it said doctor, physician, <laughs> apothecary, <laughs> chemist, <laughs> nurse. <laughs> Bravo! Very good. <laughs> well, thank you for that question. Our next section of the pod, um, which I won't. Um, I won't separate with a gong. We'll save that until we move on to the poetry. Is um, the section where we reflect on uh, where the William Carlos Williams has intersected with our own lives, and that may involve us um, also saying what we know about him or, or what we don't or whatever. So, okay, let me jump in because my bit will be very, very brief. I should also mention that we we, we chose William Carlos Williams because it was actually a, a suggestion to us from the. I posted the Wendy Cope um, episode on a podca- on a on a website that I go on a f- occasionally a poetry forum and um, and uh, one of the chaps on there, American bloke called Sixty Eight Degrees, as his handle asked for us to do William Carlos Williams so um, this is uh, this is going out to 68 degrees going out to 68 <laughs> degrees uh, yeah uh, and um, uh, yeah I don't know anything about William Carlos Williams which is why I thought it was such an interesting suggestion because obviously it's one of those names that you I've always been dimly aware of as being a fairly sort of meaty uh, sort of canonical American poet, a 20th century poet, and yet whose work in common with so many other um, of our subjects I know absolutely nothing about. I don't think, to my knowledge, I've ever read a poem by William Carlos Williams. You may find that when we come to a couple of the famous ones, if we do reference them later, that you you will know them. Well, possibly, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah no doubt. But, the, but for, from a standing start, I don't feel like I know anything at all. David, do you want to weigh in? Um, yeah, not... not, not not um, far off, Rob, although it turns out I definitely have touched on um, a few of the poems, well, we're talking 25 years ago, because uh, I, we've got a copy of the selected poems on the shelf, and um, I discover, looking through them, that I've got a few sketchy notes on some of the ones early on in the collection, um, so looking back, I reckon I must have we must have done a one seminar um, on some of these poems in a, I think it would have been the 1920s American literature course that I did in my third year of university. Um, interestingly, also, my wife has made a few notes as well. So she obviously did a bit of him. Uh, it would have been on a different different unit at some point during her degree. Um, but uh, yeah, I you know, reading these some of those poems and and, and my notes, and uh, there's not much that's coming back to me at all. Have either of you got even the most sketched in biography that we could share with the the listener? Because we'll we'll come to that in a moment. Okay, fine. But uh, I was just going to say what um, a fascinating and romantic marginalia must exist in your edition, <laughs> David. And I, I think that the, uh, the the people reading this on 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 the, the equivalent of Kindle in the future will will be sadly deprived if they haven't had the opportunity to go and purchase your uh, your your your, your marginalised uh, edition. Do you have the Charles Tomlinson? Is that what you're holding? The selected poems, the edited yes. and introduced by Charles Tomlinson. Correct, that is the one. I bought yeah. it online two weeks ago. It still hasn't arrived. Uh, it's weird like that, isn't it? It's annoying. 
I'm still waiting for Enemies of Promise. I check the, the doormat every day, but it hasn't arrived. What's Enemies of Promise? You know that Cyril Connolly book that came up in discussion. Oh, yeah. Earlier, oh, yeah, earlier, yeah. Earlier so I've been oh, the pram in the weeks. hole. Yeah. 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 Right. I'm I, I, at the risk of sounding completely insane. I, I, I lived one of his um, poems when I was 16. I, I take you back to the, the summer of 1989. Were you pushing a red wheelbarrow? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's the other one. Um, it was the summer of 1989. I was in France with my friend Luke. We'd gone over to help some friends of his parents to, to um, paint some shutters, etc. Anyway, we got absolutely smashed as you can imagine and um, I think we were fascinated by the fact that you know you could get wine in those plastic bottles which you probably still do don't you in France when you go only the very classy one (laughs) yeah that's right it was super cheap as well and we went into the kitchen at about two in the morning and there was a bowl in the fridge of sweet plums which we just ate all of you gorged the plums gorged the plums okay and then vomited them up there was all this incredibly cheap rough red wine and sort of not even partially digested plums just spewed all over these white flagstones on this rather nice kitchen Mm -hmm. and and you're saying that this is today with william carlos williams in in what regard (laughs) because Because, he was in france one time (laughs) because his most famous poem is about Stealing the plums from the fridge. Oh, really? And feeling guilty about it. Mm. Oh, well, fancy that. Yeah. The plums poem is famous. In fact, I, I was looking on the internet earlier on, and, and it's, um, it's, it's, it's on a wall in The Hague. This is just to say. Why don't you read it out? I can't know if I can read it off a wall in The Hague. <laughs> oh, here we go. <laughs> this is just to say, by William Carlos Williams, I have eaten the plums that were in the icebox and which you were probably saving for breakfast. Forgive me. They were delicious. So sweet and so cold. He <laughs> <laughs> doesn't add. And I was absolutely yeah. shedded. I'm so sorry. Yeah. <laughs> so that's always been an association in my mind. But when the association arose, I don't, I don't know. And the other poem, of course, which you've already referred to, is The Red Wheelbarrow, which I do know because I once listened to a lecture on it, which I didn't understand at all. Biography. David? Yeah, I... I don't know anything. I don't know. I don't know where he was born. He must have been born somewhere around. The late he was born 19th in 1883 <laughs> in Rutherford, New Jersey, there we go. and died uh, 79 years later in the year of our Lord 1963 in Rutherford, New Jersey. So he didn't travel far in his life. Well, it's 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 interesting that you say that because he did study in in Europe. Uh, when he was young, I, I'm, I'm inferring from his biography, given that this was pre-First World War, turn of the century, really, um, that he was he was sent off to Geneva for a couple of years, and then I think he went to do some time in London. So uh, you could, I don't know what his parents did, but they were obviously affluent enough for him to do something which they were uh, uh, from Puerto Rico and the Dominican Republic, respectively. His mother and father. Well, his uh, they well, spoke his father, Spanish with each other and to the young Carlos Williams. His his father, uh, his first language was Spanish. Yeah, but his father was English, and I, and I don't know about his mother, but I think she was European French more than mm-hmm. I think. Maybe I don't know about that. That's one for our listeners. Uh, his mother was from Mayaguez, Puerto Rico, and had French extraction. 
Yeah. I mean, this is just a man looking stuff up on Wikipedia, but, he, but, but since he, we don't know anything about him, that's that's we can find out the, the thinnest possible sketch. Well, he's he come, he he's, he's, he gets this English European. I say English. He's in Geneva. He gets this European uh, input in his education. Influence. He comes back. He's, he's, he, he, he qualifies as a doctor, but I guess um, he's got this this poetic uh, side to him as well. I think in terms of his sort of. Um, Domestic biography. He 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 marries at twenty nine. Uh, they have a couple of kids at least. I think one of the boys goes on to become a doctor. His uh, older son. So any 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 works at this hospital in in um, Rutherford, which is near New York, uh, and he works there for for his for his whole life. Whilst somehow uh, producing all of, several volumes of. First. So I mean, it's back to David's point in a way, isn't it? That he, he's, he's, he's a relatively unusual case, in that um, he, 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 unlike most of the poets that we've looked at, he, he, he led, I won't say an ordinary life, but he led um, a more regular life. Yeah, he was the hospital's chief of paediatrics from 1924 until. 1963. Are we um, do we know if he is he, are we talking about one of these kind of poets who was only really discovered after his death, kind of thing? Um, you know, was he not really well known as a poet during his life? Uh, no, no, no. Au contraire, because he's published as we've already established in this very ritzy uh, collection by Ezra Pound in 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 New York in 1914. At which point, Carlos Williams is not that old, is he? If he's born in 1883, what, 17 plus 14, so he's 31. Yeah. He's a youngish doctor, your early career doctor, and he's being published in what I would think would be about as cool as it yeah, I so, gets. Yeah. I mean, mm. this, 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 this Imagist's collection is, you know, Ford Maddox Ford, Ezra Pound... James Joyce et al. So I would think... It, it, it also says he won the first National Book Award for Poetry in 1950, um, recognising the third volume of Patterson and Selected Poems. He, in 1952, he was the named consultant in poetry to the Library of Congress in Washington, D.C., and then he was posthumously, posthumously awarded the Pulitzer Prize for pictures from Bruegel and other poems in 1962 and the Gold Medal for Poetry. Um, from the and National Institute of Arts and so, Letters. Yeah. So he was obviously a respected person during his, life, <clears throat> during his lifetime. Well, Ezra Pound, obviously, who was the leader of the, the, the Hepcat um, scene in, 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 in regards um, um, early modernist poets, had, had, had recognised him. And I think he corresponded with Pound and with Elliot and so on. So he, you know, and I think he wrote criticism and, and so on. So he was... He, he was um, he was definitely an established literary figure. I don't think he was just sort of coming home, scrubbing up and going up to the you know, attic room to, 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 to write some poetry. I think he was very much involved. In fact, here you go. He started a magazine in 1920, a literary um, magazine, which set down some of their artistic theories and so on. So he, he was very much um, not only involved, you know, with, with some of these artistic figures of the early 20th century, but... Um, acknowledged as a as as a as a as a person in that world. That's the sense I get. All right, that's a lot. That's a lot of information. I like it. Okay, uh, it's the first poem. Um, this was in the, the poetry uh, collection Des Imagistes from what year? What year? Which year? Then nineteen fourteen. Nineteen fourteen. Good year. Uh, Postlude by William Carlos Williams. Now that I have cooled to you, 
Let there be gold of tarnished masonry, Temples soothed by the sun to ruin that sleep utterly. Give me hand for the dances, Ripples that feel I in and out, And lips, my lesbian, wallflowers that once were flame. Your hair is my Carthage, and my arms the bow, And our words arrows to shoot the stars, Who from that misty sea swarm to destroy us. But you're there beside me. Oh, how shall I defy you who wound me in the night, With breasts shining like Venus and like Mars? The night that is shouting Jason When the loud eaves rattle, as with waves above me, blue at the prow of my desire. O oh, prayers in the dark, O oh, incense to Poseidon, calm in Atlantis. Okay, postlude again by William Carlos Williams. Now that I have called to you, let there be gold of tarnished masonry, temples soothed by the sun to ruin that sleep utterly. Give me hand for the dances. Ripples at Philae, in and out, and lips, my lesbian, wallflowers that once were flame. Your hair is my Carthage, and my arms the bow, and our words arrows to shoot the stars, who from the misty sea swarm to destroy us. But you're there beside me. Oh, how shall I defy you? who wound me in the night with breasts shining like Venus and like Mars. The night that is shouting Jason when the loud eaves rattle as with waves above me blew at the prow of my desire. O oh, prayers in the dark, O oh, incense to Poseidon, calm in Atlantis. Okay. Well, that's quite the crossword clue, isn't it? I'll take a crack at the title. He's just taken the word prelude and put post in front of it because it's happened after the classical period. Is that about what's going on with the title, do you think? Are you thinking it's not? Is that a, uh, a neologism? Is it a made-up word? Uh, uh, I, I should think it possibly is, or if not, then I would still argue that that's where it's come from. Oh, um, that or he's just taken some qualutes. <laughs> he's just taken some qualutes. <laughs> some ludes. Yeah, put them in a post-lude, uh, yeah, that mode. Um, yeah, that, that's, he, he would have had access to them as a doctor, wouldn't that's he? That's right, yeah. yeah. Just, Maybe yeah. that's what his role was, chief, <laughs> chief qualude procurer um, for the uh, imagists. Uh, but I think it's, you know, he, it's, it's obviously it's looking back on the classical world i mean i don't know what you make of this poem i mean i i don't i, I it reminds me of um titus andronicus in the sense that having read some of william carlos well most a lot of william carlos williams later work is nothing like this mm. um and it's like titus andronicus or early shakespeare in the sense that it's full of these <clears throat> um classical allusions or direct references in fact allusion is too um uh, softer word for it yeah what's it actually about <laughs> is okay it, uh, is it a um a, a a post sexual experience uh poem is it is that what's just happened post lewd uh now that i have called to you 
Yeah. Um, yeah. That's there are a number great. of yeah. uh, sort of uh, suggestive, shall we say, references on there. Suggestive um, images and uh, uh, examples of language. Um, but I, you, I mean, you know, I, I, it's hard to know. It's, I'm not quite sure what his mood is. No. Is it, is it celebratory or is it um, kind of? Well, it's um, I, 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 I like what you've just said. Um, that that makes a lot of sense. That it's um, postcoital. Yeah, thank you. Postcoital. Yeah, that that's a theory that looks good to me. I like the idea that he's saying all this to a, a sleeping woman. Yeah. I, I I don't know what her response would be if she were awake and hearing all this. I don't know how she would uh, how she'd react to this stuff. Yeah. How shall I defy you, who wound me in the night with breasts shining like Venus and like Mars? No, I, I like your theory. I mean, I, I was initially thinking it was it was about relationship and it was, it was some sort of r- romance, but it was weird. I was trying to reconcile the now that I have called to you with the fact that it seems um, the second stanza there does seem to be much more about he's romantically engaged with her. So I was trying to, to resolve that. What's the significance of Carthage historically? Carthage um, was eventually destroyed by Rome. Aeneas, after he fled from Troy, stopped off and had a relationship with Dido. He, he then went on to be part of the founding of Rome. Uh, I mean, Carthage stands out to me as the famous city that the Romans destroyed uh, in the Third Punic War. Uh, so I don't know why her hair is is, is his Carthage. Um, it was a desired place. I mean, Carthage, they, the Romans hated Carthage back in the early days because it was successful and it was a rival. Yeah. But, so it was, it was maybe, maybe, the, maybe the reference is it's something desirable. I don't mm-hmm. know. Um, but he, he, you know, but 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 I think what you said actually makes a heck of a lot of sense, David. And I think that's absolutely right. And I think I like I like this bit about um, the knight is shouting. Why it's Jason, I don't know. But when the loud eaves rattle, they're they're there together, aren't they? Calm in Atlantis. Yeah. Okay. It's just very heavy on the classical references. Yeah, like you were saying, it's kind of uh, it feels like he hasn't found his own voice yet. This doesn't feel like William Carlos Williams. It doesn't really feel like, um, like well, uh, whatever you would call. It. Is it, I mean, it sort of does feel a bit modernist, obviously, because you know, Elliot used loads of this sort of stuff. But it doesn't feel like um, it's it's been sort yeah, of. Yeah, doesn't Car- doesn't Carthage get quite an airing in the wasteland to Carthage? Then I do I come or whatever it is. Yeah, sounds about right. Yeah, um, but yeah, the, unlike the wasteland, this doesn't feel. Uh, particularly new. Yeah, one of Ezra Pound's things, and maybe one day we'll try and uh, tackle um, Pound on a, on a podcast. I think we'd all like to, but it's a daunting prospect. Um, I think that they felt that the the Romantic movement um, right through to the end of the nineteenth century had sort of become to become overly sentimental, and therefore there was this kind of sense among 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 Pound and his crowd that. Um, classicism was was the way forwards in in a, in a sort of sense that it was more um, precise and 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 I don't know perhaps uh, I'm not too sure but 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 I think this 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 phase of going back through um, the classical canon well evidently in this poem uh, was something that um, William Carlos Williams wasn't alone in doing but yeah. 
it's, it's nothing like his later poems at all. I'm not a fan of this one. It's too cryptic and arcane and esoteric for me. I have to say, I can't, I can't, just can't pierce the surface of it hardly at all. Um, I mean, even the theory, the post-cultural theory that you've come up with, David, I can't really slot all of these lines into that. Well, she's, she's, he's, 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 her hair is there. Um, yeah. Actually, maybe that's um, that's Aeneas, isn't it? Getting stuck in Carthage and he couldn't leave Dido or something. So he's 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 he's, he's laying next to this lady. Uh, her hair is his Carthage, so he doesn't want to leave. Why is she his lesbian? That's a good question. I I don't know. I, I can only presume the capital L in lesbian there, by the way, as in yeah, because as yeah, in so a person from, from Lesbos. Lesbos from Lesbos, yeah. Um, but I mean, the meaning of lesbian is also. Well, she's 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 being addressed as a Greek figure from Lesbos. Possibly she's um, Sappho, the famous Greek poet. I don't know. Um, yeah, as I say, esoteric and cryptic. It's indirect in the extreme. I mean, I just read as I was trawling there for uh, a quiz question that, uh, uh, it, despite him feeling put back uh, twenty, set back twenty years, having read The Wasteland and having blown his socks off, um, he later was very critical of Eliot for being too arcane and esoteric and putting in too many um, uh, mm. uh, 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 impenetrable references that is clearly not a view he was holding when he, in 1914 when he was writing, writing Postlude no. No. which is as um, in and niche as really could be you know conceivable I mean what it's expecting of the reader here uh, in terms of what we need to know what we need to have read what the you know our, our, our knowledge of the classics uh, what he's, he's, he's anticipating his reader bringing to this poem seems, in, in my view, slightly unbalanced in terms of what we're supposed to be getting out of it. Uh, There's a lot of um, my, I mean, my my knowledge of the classics is really, really weak, to be honest. But there's there's. A, from what I do know, there's a lot of references to women in classical mythology as kind of you know succubus-like uh, creatures who drain male um, energies. Uh, you get it in um, Odysseus, obviously. You get it in, uh, in in the Odyssey. You get it in uh, you know, with Circe. You have um, the sirens, of course, who are kind of sex sexually dangerous. You've got um, what's the one? Uh, uh, it's the Lotus Eaters, isn't it? The place where they they um, sort of they, they can't they don't want to leave. Yeah. Um, they they eat of the lotus plant and they can't. They they just it just robs them of any any. Um, desire yeah. to do anything I think the, th- the thing the thing with this poem is um, again may be wrong but I think it, it's a bit of a smorgasbord because he's talking about different things isn't he and I think that blew at the prow of my desire well I suppose Jason had his boat didn't he so maybe it, maybe it yeah. is Je- he's talking about Jason at the boat or, or but there's an allusion maybe to Odysseus as well if, yeah it feels a bit like he's, he's um, almost trying to overcome this um the, the, the as if this this uh, experience with this woman has sort of um, prevented is preventing him from I don't know fulfilling any other kind of creative urges that he might have and the, this poem feels like a way of trying to fight through that there's a lot of that that language of defiance and wounding and I, I'm uh, I'm I'm not sure that it's not entirely sympathetic that he's just talking about having you know. Um, Spent some special time with his lady, and they're laying there in the in the bed. 
Yeah, yeah, but happy. oh, how shall I defy you who wound me in the night with breasts shining like Venus and like oh, Mars? Her, there's nothing like wrong Venus with her like breasts I mean, because Venus, they're shining like Venus. <laughs> yeah, but like, <laughs> like, Ven- like Venus is a woman. She's a she's the goddess of of she's the ultimate Breast. female. Yeah, and but Mars is is the warrior, the ultimate male, right? Yeah, but God of War. But, but maybe he's just saying. I mean, this is rather salacious, isn't it? Maybe he's just saying that they're. You know, there's a there's a martial quality about the projection and. Or or or, or, or turgidity of her. Or it's or it's or it's or it's two, or it's two people. Um, no, it's her breasts, and her breasts are like Venus and like Mars, which is a positive. And she wounds him in the night, which wound is a positive thing in the sense of like his heart, love, and you know, sexual love. Um, and at the end here. Uh, the night that is shouting, Jason, when the loud eaves rattle, as with waves above me, blew at the prow of my... Oh, prayers in the dark. Oh, incense to Poseidon. These are these are positive things. And then All the right. final line is calm in Atlantis, a sort of a blissful happiness. It drowned. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was going to say. Uh, in a good way. Forever. Yeah. Yeah. There's a bit in um, we, uh, uh, Annie Hall. I've mentioned Annie Hall before. Yeah. Um, where... Uh, the, the the Woody Allen character and uh, obviously yeah, the Diane Keaton character Annie have just had sex and he he says as Balzac would say there goes another novel <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know amazing. if there's something similar going on here that is kind of like well uh, I've just spent my uh, you know sort of potential creative energies in uh, in <laughs> sexually instead and th- th- this is his way of trying to make up for that I don't well, I, I, well I'd be interested in, in any piece of evidence single piece of evidence <laughs> you have for that theory <laughs> I don't think I've got any at all um, except that it just doesn't feel quite as uh, you know full of bliss and afterglow and all the kind of things you might expect if I mean we, I might it, it, maybe I'm completely wrong about the you know what I said right at the start <laughs> but, but I, you know, I think there is there's enough there, isn't there, to suggest that yeah, this is a a, a kind of you know lying in bed, um, gazing at a sleeping woman, um, feel about it, and then it's just a question of quite how he does feel about it, and he doesn't feel or doesn't seem to feel as full of the joys as you might expect. Well, I suppose that the big question would be yeah, if he put this on her pillow for the morning, how would she take that? <laughs> Any poem that ends that uses three exclamation marks in the final four lines is um, taking a risk. It's taking a risk, isn't it, guys? I I, I suggest we move on because yeah. I, I, I feel I, like I can't quite get the lid off the paint in with this poem. I, you know I what I mean? Well, I only thought we should reference it because of its sort of historical, um, you know, significance. Uh, significance. Thank you. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. Bang your gong. And this poem is called The Last Words of My English Grandmother by William Carlos Williams. There were some dirty plates and a glass of milk beside her on a small table near the rank, dishevelled bed. Wrinkled and nearly blind, she lay and snored, rousing with anger in her tones to cry for food. Give me something to eat. They're starving me. I'm all right. I won't go to the hospital. No, no, no. Give me something to eat. Let me take you to the hospital, I said, and after you are well, you can do as you please. She smiled. Yes, you do what you please first, then I can do what I please. 
Oh, 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 she cried as the ambulance men lifted her to the stretcher. Is this what you call making me comfortable? By now her mind was clear. Oh, you think you're smart, you young people, she said. But I'll tell you, you don't know anything. Then we started. On the way we passed a long row of elms. She looked at them a while out of the ambulance window and said, What are all those fuzzy-looking things out there? Trees? Well, I'm tired of them. And rolled her head away. The last words of my English grandmother, 1920. And I say 1920 because that's what it says at the top of the poem. I don't say that it was written in 1920. In fact, it's included in a collection from 1941. There were some dirty plates and a glass of milk beside her on a small table near the rank, dishevelled bed. Wrinkly and nearly blind, she lay and snored, rousing with anger in her tones to cry for food. Give me something to eat. They're starving me. I'm all right. I won't go to the hospital. No, no, no. Give me something to eat. Let me me take you to the hospital, I said. And after you are well, you can do as you please. She smiled. Yes, you do what you please first. Then I can do what I please. Oh, 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 she cried as the ambulance men lifted her to the stretcher. Is this what you call making me comfortable? By now her mind was clear. Oh, you think you're smart, you young people, she said, but I'll tell you, you don't know anything. Then we started. On the way, we passed a long row of elms. She looked at them a while out of the ambulance window and said, What are all those fuzzy-looking things out there? Trees? Well, I'm tired of them, and rolled her head away. It was a very different poem to Postlude, that's for sure. <laughs> it certainly is. It certainly is. Yes, well, you've you've jumped the shark there into the evolved William Carlos Williams yeah. style. And what, what, so do we know when this is from? It says 1920, but that could have been when she died yeah. and not necessarily when he wrote it. I think that would be more likely. Uh, but uh, it would be interesting to know when this was written, I suppose. Do we know if she... Did he actually have an English grandmother? Yes, because his father was English. His father was English and moved to the Caribbean when he was five. OK. So, in other words, this is probably... Real. Most li- most likely a biographical event. Yeah. yeah, I'd be pretty surprised if it wasn't. And I'd also be pretty surprised if it was written in 1920. I think it was written later. Well, it was published in 1941. Yeah. OK. Why did you choose this poem, Rob? Well, because my William Carlos Williams book didn't arrive. <laughs> uh, and so I was stuck with, uh, with the, the, uh, the, the couple of poems that were in... Um, The Little Treasury of Modern Poetry by Oscar Williams, collected by Oscar Williams, or The Four Poems in the Rattle Bag, and I just thought this looked like an interesting title. I hadn't read it. It's Ted Hughes and Seamus Heaney, isn't it, The Rattle Bag? Yeah. yeah. It's a pretty, it's a big, it's a headline act in terms of who's Mm. choosing the poems. Oh, it's an amazing collection. It's absolutely mind-boggling, yeah. So there are four four of his poems in there? Four of William Carlos Williams' poems, yeah. Mm. Um, uh, It's it's quite a big big book, yeah. It's it's a good hit rate for for him, isn't it, I would have thought. Uh, uh, well, I mean, there's, there's, there's probably, there's probably um, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven poems by Yeats, just to give you some sense of scale. That's still not bad, though. I would say four elevenths of Yeats is, you know, you're happy with that, aren't yeah. you? Yeah. Six, Sylvia Plath. I don't know what to say about that poem that you've just read. Yeah, so it's two-thirds of the way to a Plath. Yeah, exactly. Uh and 25 poems by Ted Hughes. <laughs> 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 I'm kidding. 
Uh, no. <laughs> well, I mean, it's, it, it, I mean, it depends when it's written, really, in terms of the in terms of its meaning. I mean, it, it strikes me it's very much like a poem by someone like Bukowski. The earthy street directness, the the slight blankness and lack of evident emotion, and yet talking about something which is obviously intensely emotional, intensely personal, intensely sort of you know revealing, and this quite sort of uh, grim um, and sort of harrowing memory, but being dealt with in this completely matter of fact way. And there's a sort of cognitive dissonance, I suppose, isn't there, between the, the, the form and the, 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 the meaning of the yeah. poem, which is kind of interesting. Uh, that's, that's this, is, this is a question I should have asked you earlier. Yep. Which 1955 volume did William Carlos Williams write the introduction to? Well, I don't know. 1955 famous poem. Uh, How by Ginsburg? Oh, that's right, he did, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's correct, isn't it? Yeah. Mm. All right, so he's pre-Beats, and he was sort of a, a, a papa bear to the Beats. Yeah, I reckon that's that's coming at us now like a wave, a yeah. big one. He's papa bear to the Beats. Yeah. Well, that would make sense uh, of, of, of this to some degree. Is this anything... I don't know the Beat Poets really at all. Is this anything like them? No, they're more... Um, they're more funky. Uh, yeah, I was going to say, this, this isn't funky. So this is like... More uh, funky, yeah. This reminds me of... Uh, of the, it's, this is like the poetry equivalent of um, a, a pinterplay. It's like a yeah. really bleak, not quite nasty... You know, you're, you're sort of expected to maybe dredge up some sympathy for the people involved, but they don't give you anything to sympathise with. You have to just kind of... Uh, you know, really think about what might have gone on, or what what, what other things might be going on. Yeah. Um, and there's, I don't know, maybe it's just something about the about Rob's reading, but I just instant, instantly thought of, I think it was the line, um, "Is this what you call making me comfortable?" That sounded, that sounded so much it, like it, a Harold Pinter character. It made it made you think of Pinter. I was thinking he was doing it in the style of Pete and Dud. <laughs> <laughs> I was actually oh, yeah. trying I mean, to be it, Wilfred Bramble in yeah, Steptoe. That's, that, no, that's what it is. <laughs> well, Steptoe is straight out of Pinter, isn't what, it? What are they yeah, called? Totally, Not Pete. Totally. Pete. Derek and Clyde. Derek and Clyde. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it only really becomes sort of poetry, as it were, in the last two stanzas. When when you find some empathy, when the poem finds any empathy. And it's, it becomes, yeah, I suppose, yeah, quite moving at that stage. But there is something else going on because it, but it is because it is purely descriptive up to that point, isn't it? It's 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 just it's he's just it's just reported speech, just voice, yeah. And there's a certain kind of uh, cruelty almost in the absence of evident emotion or, or context for this. You know, we don't know anything about the woman and her life yeah. other than the fact that she's the English grandmother, and we literally meet her amongst uh, the detritus of her life, and there she's suddenly complaining. Um, we don't know anything about how he feels about her or why he's got, why he's there. So it's this completely sort of, um, as I say, it's pretty, it's pretty sort of cold, descriptive uh, piece uh, up to that point. But but even so, there is something tragic about her and something kind of pathetic. Yeah. So so I think there is something within it, which is that we are being, we are being sort of for, forced to feel the emotion that he's unwilling to feel or unable to feel, perhaps. It definitely the, the bit about it that feels really modern is um yeah the the fact that it's the it's her voice mainly through most of the whole of the kind of middle section of the poem and then right at the end you get a kind of blending of the two they sort of bleed into each other and it feels like one of those modern novels that have 
that some people complain about that have totally done away with inverted commas. So uh, like normal people is a, a, you know, one of the most recent famous examples. Um, so it's slightly hard to know when a character is actually speaking or not and whether it's the, the, the narrative voice or the, or the voice of a character. And that's what he's done here, isn't it? Because right at the end, it says, what are all those fuzzy looking things out there? Trees. Obviously, this is her speaking. Well, I'm tired of them and rolled her head away. So the last sentence uh, uses the first and the third person without um, seeming to sort of shift from one to the other. I think, well, I'm tired of the misreported speech, isn't it? But um, it's got no speech marks anyway through the poem uh, for, for people who are only hearing this and not, not reading it. No, but I take your point. And I but think yeah. it's a good one that the, 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 the collision and the deliberate sometimes segue without clarification into who is speaking is part of the experience that he is reporting. Rolled her head away is the the one really kind of interesting sort of slightly rem- remarkable sounding um piece of language i think yes yes uh that's the one bit that really makes you think makes you wonder what i mean well it adds to that sort of finality and this sort of um slight well i mean the thing, the thing is the poem, the poem is called the last words of my english grandmother yeah, so but her I mean, last words were um what are all those fuzzy looking things out there trees well i'm tired of them yeah, and 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 he, I happen to know because I skimmed through this volume earlier on, writes a lot of poems about trees. Mm. Is that so? Oh, tree, right. tree, trees are some trees sort and flowers of, and plants come up a lot, don't they? Right. Tree, trees are some sort of uh, big deal. So Which, her final rejection of the natural world of the is world. a sort of almost a betrayal for him that she's so tired, she's so desolate. I mean, I suppose the question has to be, why write this poem? You know, I mean, there is a sort of something almost confrontational about it, isn't there? In in in, in, in you know, that he is having to dredge up this memory and confront it, that it must be painful. I mean, there has to be a good deal of pain in this recollection. And to, to deal with it in this completely sort of objective fashion, with almost no... There's, there's almost no... Um, I mean, he is there is first person in there. I mean, yeah. there's, there's... Let me take you to the hospital, I said, and then we passed a long row of elms. But essentially, he's there, but he's... Not really in the poem. It's just a description of a circumstance, circumstances and what this woman said and did. Yeah, he doesn't express uh, his feeling, uh, about, it his feeling about it at all. He doesn't inject himself, insert himself into the poem as a character, nor mm. as a nor as a as a nor as a view. Or, you know, as a as a as a yeah. um, no emotion whatsoever, really. Yeah, and I wonder if this mode of neutral emotion is 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 part of the emerging. Uh, modernity i mean it seems to me i mean i think we're going to have to go back and sort of fill in a couple of the blanks because we've gone from postlude which seems to be a child of the 19th century yeah to this which could have been written yesterday give or take yeah i mean give me something to eat he's gone into this kind of quite it's, he's not when he says give me something to eat it's not being used as um I don't know, an earlier poet may have used a bit of colloquial dialogue to evoke character. It's not done for that reason at all, is it? It's just totally naturalistic. Yeah, she's um, she's just barely conscious at the start, isn't she? It is true that you have to kind of um, uh, really remember what this must have been like or you know, recreate the the experience of this to, in order to feel that that sympathy. Yeah, I mean, it ha- oh, so it's, sorry, so can I just jump in just for a second and say, um, I just looked, just looked this up. It says, this was first published in an extended form in 1924. 
and it was revised and shortened to the version we know today in 1939. It is known that Williams did, in fact, have a grandmother from England, but whether this poem is an accurate depiction of her last last moments is not clear. Okay, so this is 1924. Yeah, well, some version of this was 1924. That's mm. it. Yeah. Okay, I'm not. I'm not very. I'm not very. Uh, this edition says it's chronological. It's obviously not. Do you think his grandmother's last words are actually incredibly sort of eloquent and elegant? Yeah, kindly. She's really Could, furious about this. Can we go back a little bit to, um, I think, the poem that you were talking about doing, David, um, at the ball game? Because this is from his collection Spring and All, which came out in 1923. Yeah. At the ball game... William Carlos Williams. The crowd at the ball game is moved uniformly by a spirit of uselessness which delights them. All the exciting detail of the chase and the escape, the error, the flash of genius, all to no end save beauty, the eternal. So in detail they, the crowd, are beautiful. For this to be warned against, saluted and defied. It is alive, venomous. It smiles grimly, its words cut. The flashy female with her mother gets it. The Jew gets it straight. It is deadly, terrifying. It is the Inquisition, the revolution. It is beauty itself that lives day by day in them idly. This is the power of their faces. It is summer. It is the solstice. The crowd is cheering. The crowd is laughing in detail, permanently, seriously, without thought. At the ball game. The crowd at the ball game is moved uniformly by a spirit of uselessness which delights them. All the exciting detail of the chase and the escape the error, the flash of genius, all have no end save beauty, the eternal. So in detail they, the crowd, are beautiful, for this to be warned against, saluted and defied. It is alive, venomous, it smiles grimly, its words cut. The flashy female with her mother gets it, the Jew gets it straight. It is deadly, terrifying. It is the Inquisition, the revolution. It is beauty itself that lives day by day in them, idly. This is the power of their faces. It is summer. It is the solstice. The crowd is cheering. The crowd is laughing in detail, permanently, seriously, without thought. I'd say that's a good poem about a ball game. Mm. <laughs> I really like this poem. Absolutely. This is definitely what you think of when you think of William Carlos Williams, or what I thought of, anyway. I don't understand this poem at all. No, I'm not saying I understand it. (laughs) I don't understand this poem at all. What's happening? What's it about? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, come on down. What's it about? 
I mean, what's what's what, he says? I understood it initially, right? There seems to be three acts to this 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 thing in a way. I understand the crowd of the ball game is moved unif- is moved uniformly. It's not the crowd of the ball game moves uniformly. It's is moved uniformly. So we're sort of got sort of sort of some unseen hand that's moving the crowd, or some some spirit, some animating force is moving the crowd. Oh, it's in fact a spirit of uselessness which delights them. So they're moved uniformly by a spirit of uselessness. So a spirit of uselessness. So it means that they've got. Maybe it just means that it means that they've got no function. They've no. They're just there to enjoy yeah. themselves. Yeah. They don't have any sort Correct. of meaning. Yeah, they don't have right. to have meaning. This is their day off. Yeah. They're watching the ball game. Yeah. So that they can have this delightful meaninglessness in their yeah. lives. This just the just the 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 animating force isn't isn't function. The, the animating force is lack of meaningful function. It's just the spirit of uselessness. All the exciting detail of the chase and the escape, the error, the flash of genius. So that's still to the ball game. We're still in the ball game at that point. The the chase and the escape, the drama, as it were, of the sport event. Do you take this to be basketball or American football? What? It's baseball. Baseball. Sorry, baseball. Yeah, baseball. Sorry, yeah. it's baseball. Oh, for definitely. The ball game. Take me out to the ball game is always baseball. baseball yeah. It's baseball. Yeah. yeah. Sorry, I didn't um, mean basketball. I meant yeah, baseball. Yeah, 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 gotcha. and, and I and I thought baseball. All to no end, save beauty. So that, therefore, all these things are the, all the things that the, the crowd is focusing on. Or the crowd at the ball game is just focusing on all these things, and and there's no reason for any of it. There's no reason for the chase and the escape. There's no reason for the error or the flash of beauty. The only the, the flash of genius. Sorry, the only thing that they're, they're turning up for is just the beauty in it. Yeah. Just the inherent beauty of 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 the game. It's just like mm-hmm. play for play sake. You know, mm-hmm. um, there's no there's no bullshit there. It's just beauty the eternal so in detail they the crowd are beautiful so so far i'm still making sense of it so in detail they the crowd are beautiful for this to be warned against saluted and de- and defied now it's starting to turn it is alive venomous so what is alive is it the crowd is alive venomous it smiles grimly its words cut so that seems like an ending to something there. But I don't understand what that means. So hang on, let's just jump okay. through. Let's just keep going along these lines. The flashy female with her mother gets it. The Jew gets it straight. It is deadly terrifying. So gets what? It is the Inquisition, the revolution. It is beauty itself that lives day by day in them idly. Um, I've, I've started to lose the thread here. I think it's a take on reality. Okay. If I was really pretentious, I would you probably are, start so throwing <laughs> in words like ontology but around about now. But I'm not going to do that. Thank God. I think, you know, he's he's a medical man. He's, he's familiar with the evolution, the underlying, not the underlying, but the, the... I think there's a metaphysical element to it in the sense that there's a kind of... There's life. He's talking about life. Okay. And um, when he's seeing the crowd... He's so when he says to be te- te- technical and drill down on the actual words. So he says, so in detail they the crowd are beautiful. Uh, for this to be warned against, saluted and defied, it is alive, venomous. I take it from that, and I may be completely wrong, that he's talking about life itself. It's the massed spirit in that crowd he's talking about. It is alive, venomous. It smiles grimly. Its words cut. Uh, and then, and he's saying that people in the crowd get it. He's almost sort of saying, and I think this is something which he he thinks that um, there's a there's an intuitive sense among people that uh, that, that that they get this kind of um, 
this additional dimension that they're aware of this um but is this is this about is this about mob mentality? I, I, no. the the crowd is alive, venomous. You know, I mean, he's he, he's he's saying this is to be warned against, saluted and defied. So it should be respected but defied. It is alive, so that's good. Venomous, bad. It, it smiles, good. Grimly, bad. Its words cut. The flashy female with her mother gets it, good. But the Jew gets it straight. No, that's it's deadly good. terrifying. So, no. you know, what, what, what then? Well, no, but I think that they get the, the dimension of reality that he's talking about. Well, what's deadly and terrifying? And is it deadly and terrifying to the Jew, whereas it's not deadly and terrifying to the flashy female with her mother? Uh, n- I think it's, it's manifold. It is deadly and terrifying, this energy, this um, proposition of existence. It is the Inquisition that's bad. The revolution, yeah. Well, that is deadly and terrifying. The Inquisition and the Revolution are deadly and terrifying. I mean, they are, oh. they are, they are. When a mob is, isn't it more rather than a mob? Is it, it feels to me as though because there's, there's, uh, as you said, uh, reference to the crowd as a kind of passive thing. Yeah, animated it, by has, the spirit of uselessness. Yeah, yeah, that has absolutely no practical impact on the game. It's really interesting. This, this, we're reading this now uh, at a time when there aren't any spectators in stadiums because it sort of it's, that has sort of raised the issue of just how like what impact do the supporters actually have on their teams and uh, there's a possibility that um they maybe just add too much pressure and affect things sort of adversely but anyway that's slightly beside the point but the the the, the i think the point is that because the focus here is on the crowd there's no reference you know you, you read a poem called at the ball game you know, you're expecting possibly uh, a, a description of a uh, of a of a baseball match. You get none of that. There is not a single reference to baseball in this poem, apart from the ball game. Um, what you do get is uh, a sort of really kind of curious, at first, really quite sort of admiringly sort of fascinated view of a, of a crowd which turns into a, something quite sinister. Um, yeah, yeah. Something like, well, you know, but the, okay, you know, this is this is how we, how we, how things can go if you if you have a large number of people not really getting involved, not really actively taking part, but just enjoying the uh the kind of yeah, well, the spirit of uselessness, the kind of the the passive um you know, just just it just being an audience only. But isn't this saying that the crowd, a ball game, can be, you know, animated by the spirit of uselessness, and that and 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 in detail, the they the crowd are beautiful, and that's a line from the poem. So in mm. detail, they the crowd are beautiful for this, but also to be warned against because it is alive and venomous, like a snake, I suppose. I mean, what is it is alive? It, it must be the crowd. It smiles grimly. Its words cut. What is that? The crowd? I think it's, it is, it is, it is the, the massed um, presence of all of these people together that he's so observing and that he's writing it's about. It's the mob, so to speak. Um, I, yeah, but I think he's not, he's, he's not writing about it 
negatively but when he, or he pejoratively. Goes to say, the Jew gets it straight. It is deadly, terrifying. It is the Inquisition, the revolution. That's the flip side of this spirit of uselessness, of this, of this crowd who are just able to be moved by these forces, which could be the baseball game, it could be the escape, the, the, the chase, the whatever, or it could be the Nazis, it could be Hitler motivating them. Well, I think and, that's a fair comment, yeah. And, and, it's and, a mental... and, and as the crowd can move as a wave, it can, be, it can celebrate the flashy female with her mother, but it can, but it can also kill the Jews. It can, you know, I mean, it's, I mean for kickoff, for kickoff, kick it can okay, be the revolution. Right. It can be the the crowd can be, you know, they might be beautiful in yeah. detail, but when you see them massed like a wave, like a you know a mass of humanity yeah. that can be yeah. can be can be motivated for historical, you know, sort of uh, you know political purposes or whatever, then the crowd is a terrifying, deadly thing. It's the Inquisition. It's the revolution. I don't know. I mean, I really well, don't know. I mean. For kickoff, he's putting himself slightly outside of it. In, 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 oh, completely. In, in, in terms of he, he, he is not um, wholly come to terms with the fact that he's a, he's a member of the crowd, but he's observing the crowd. And I think ultimately, when you say when he says the flashy female with her um, mother gets it, I think gets it there is understands it. But gets it is a bit more than understands it because I don't think they do understand it. That's the point of the poem, in a way, that they don't understand it, but they get it. Okay. They get this energy. They get this mental sublimation that they are all engaged in, which is bigger than any individual. In fact, it can't be it can't be reduced or, or reconciled down to any individual. Except, except the Jew gets it straight. Because he understands that it's deadly, it's terrifying, it's inquisition. Yeah, but gets the revolution. it is not the same as understands it. He mm. gets it. He get, they get it. Like, i.e., Carlos Williams is looking at these individual members of the crowd, and let's just say, by contrast, somebody who didn't get it might be staring at their hot dog or wondering what they were doing here or not fully immersed in this. Like I've just said, sort of almost spirit, mental not animated by the spirit of uselessness in the group in the group think. Kind They're of. not animated by the spirit of uselessness. They're not in, in, engaged in this sort of carnival or festival. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas the ones who are, they get it, and they've 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 almost um, they're deliberately not thinking reasonably. Um, yeah, they're extracting themselves from their own personal. They're extracting themselves from their own personal and, thing, and, and, and the joy of it is they know they can't do anything. You know, they're just an observing. They're just a, 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 but they're more than an observing crowd. They they've become something, and what have they become? And he goes on to say, "It is beauty itself that lives day by day in them idly. This is the power of their faces." Okay, so that seems to be again. The, that's the sort of cent- set central section of the poem done. And then he ends by saying, it is summer, it is the solstice, the crowd is cheering, the crowd is laughing in detail, permanently, seriously, without thought. Yeah. They're freed from Or is that permanently, seriously, without thought? Yeah, I think it's the way you've just read it. They're they're not ceasing their laughter. They're... they're, um, they're Why in detail again? We've got in detail twice, haven't we? The crowd is laughing in detail, permanently, seriously, without thought. The two things are, are coexisting together. That they're, they're, they're laughing in detail. In other words, they are 
in their corporeal life you know they, they are individually doing all of the things that in that are so you would need to do to laugh They're, but 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 there's more there's more going on than just their own individual laughing it's pre-second world war isn't it 1930 the 1938 this poem was published incorrect it was published in his collection spring and all which was published in 1923 1923 yeah oh so it's copyright 1938 but never mind yeah fine okay it's 1923 we don't do we know anything about his um politics yes because the other some of his um contemporaries had had you know shall we say problematic attitudes towards Jews, didn't they? Yeah. Pound certainly did. He was denied some award um, during the Huac period and before. He oh, was thought of yeah. as a communist. And you can, there's one very striking poem um, I, I read earlier on. I don't know if you've read it, David. The one about the rapist. Have you read that? Mm. I, I saw it. I didn't really, didn't really read it properly. I'm, I'm sensing actually he's quite, he, he'd be quite good for 2020. Because um, given the, the period he's writing, there were some very sympathetic portraits of black and ethnic minority people and also of, uh, as I say, the, the, the poem that he wrote about, about a woman having been a victim of an assault. So I, I, I get the impression that if, if his politics can be inferred from this at all, they would be rather more of the left than of the right. Yeah, although as we know, there's quite a lot of anti-Semitism on the left. I just wondered if that was... Yeah, it's hard, yeah. I wonder if his um, "The Jew Gets It Straight" is uh, you know, we we read it from a kind of post-Holocaust perspective, um, but this is comfortably pre-Holocaust and yeah. very much in the middle of a very anti-Semitic uh, time period, as far as the you know a lot of the major writers and poets and thinkers of the time were of the same mind about about Jews. Were they? Uh, oh yeah, there's a there's some. Oh, Pound was rabidly anti-Semitic, and um, Eliot wrote some dubious stuff about Jews. So did Virginia Woolf. It was it was very prevalent in the twenties. I don't doubt that. I'm sure you're right about what you say about about that. I mean, this poem is a hundred years old. That pattern of thought around it's acceptable to say the Jew is obviously alien to contemporary. Uh, ways of thinking. I don't infer from that any any anti-Semitism. I think that people no. people use that that form of expression. Now, today we would describe that as problematic for a host of reasons, many of which I'm not aware of the whole kind of theoretical basis. But you can say if somebody's using language like that, it reflects the background of anti-Semitism, de facto anti-Semitism that you are categorising and. Um, defining and reducing someone to uh, a religious or ethnic identity so yes it, it does do that and that is a little bit unpalatable but i i suspect that that was that it didn't have that meaning to him or to his readers that that, that was just you know in the same way that he says the flashy female um is that sexist is that is that you know i i, I don't know yeah well again i don't know, not, not sure what he means by that what, what is the flashy female i think he means a, a attractive well-dressed woman i think to him those are not key notes in the poem particularly although uh, maybe i'm wrong and maybe there maybe maybe there, there is something a bit suspect about that in, in in particularly as you were just saying in 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 that time when there was obviously a high degree of anti-semitism yeah i mean obviously i've got absolutely no yeah i don't know um uh if he was mates with pound <laughs> i'm you know i'm worried about 
what he's getting out there. Well, or, well, I mean, I'm, I'm not, I'm not sure actually that this isn't slightly the opposite. That that, that it's not the crowd that is anti-Semitic here. I think he's worried about mob mentality and that, and that, that, that you know when the crowd turn flow fleetingly away from the sports event, you know, and they turn their attention somewhere else. They're all wolf whistling at the flashy female who's there with her mum, and there's goading the Jewish bloke you know and suddenly the crowd have gone from being this quite sort of beautiful thing animated by the uh, you know spirit of uselessness they're delighted in the game and then suddenly they can turn on a dime and be shouting anti-semitic you know epithets at some Jewish bloke down in the crowd and suddenly it's not this um, happy you know spirit you know, Americana of the sports game you know take me out to the ball game whatever you suddenly it's the inquisition it's the revolution suddenly you there's quite a dangerous element all of a sudden and and the, you know the, the, as it were in this vision of America or you know the vision of the ball game the sky suddenly darkens in his view you know in uh, in in William Carlos Williams view that the crowd are suddenly need to be uh, warned against, you know, there's something kind of dark, you know, a little black diamond at the heart of this mass mm. of people that he's slightly. You I know, don't it's, think it's. it's, it's I don't the, think it's a negative, as you're do you saying. Know what I mean? It's the it's the it's the pebble in his shoe, you know. That there's. I don't know. Because it's it's. I think it is. It's it it, it it's alive, venomous. Yeah, it, I can't see how you can get around venomous and the Inquisition as well, being quite negative. No, well, I can get around it because of the uh, metaphor or simile, whichever it was that you just used about a black diamond at the heart of it or a pebble in his shoe. I think that both things exist. You know, it, it can be terrible, but it's also, he describes, it is beauty itself that lives day by day in them, idly. Firstly, you put a completely different construction on the word gets it than, than I had read. You, you you suggested that they're getting insulted. They're getting um, the yeah. Well, it gets the venom. It gets the cutting words. Mm. It is alive, I, uh, venomous. I, I mean, I, venomous. For God's sake, you know what I mean? It's like suddenly the suddenly the crowd turns on you, or it turns yeah. on this. You know, hot woman is she's being wolf whistled out. She's being salacious things are being shouted. Then there's the Jew who's getting called. You know, insults from you know from the crowd that they're all hollering. I down. just think that well. I mean, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're, only, we're only just discussing it. I don't know either. I, I mean, I, I, I think that's a misreading because I think gets it means understands it. Because he is talking about... I mean, when he says it is beauty itself that lives day by day in them idly, what, what, what is he talking about? He's talking about some often unthought or unregarded kind of aspect of people. He's observing the, the, the vibrancy, the vivacity, the power of life expressing itself um, and that has both violent nastier sides but it also has beauty yeah that's right that's what that's but that's what we're saying isn't it he's seeing both things he's seeing yeah. that there is that there is beauty in this sort of um thoughtlessness of the crowd that are just enjoying the game but there is also a real danger in that and that there yeah. is a sort of yeah a, yeah yeah uh, a, a potential as i say sort of mob mentality and the kind of you know the the dark side of of this groupthink and this spirit of uselessness and this animating force, which can take away people's individuality. I think they're happy and therefore they're able to express an aspect of life which, as I say, has involved the uh, eclipse of their own personalities. Yeah. But they're, they're pleased about that. 
and this is a kind of driving force of, of life, existence, of whatever. It's, it's, this is the power of their faces when you see them day by day. In you know inside them is this. Uh, it is summer. It is the solstice. The crowd is cheering. It is summer. It is the solstice. The crowd is cheering. The crowd is laughing in detail. Yeah, but permanently and seriously without thought. So there's a kind of abdication of of, yes. of moral and responsibility. Yes. yes, which is dangerous. Yeah, but he's and he's troubling. not. Yeah, but you're, you you might. One, you, one person can't be an inquisition, yeah, you, and one person can't be a revolution, but a group can that has been yeah. motivated. Yeah, but you you, you you might place your the moral analysis on it, or put, whatever political philosophical analysis on it. I don't think he's doing that. Well, I don't think he's it's said. deadly and terrifying, and the Jew gets it straight. <laughs> Either way, he doesn't seem to be enjoying the ball game. He well, is the, enjoying the ball it. game. Doesn't get it doesn't get a look in, does no. it? It's, it's 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 this is about the spectacle of the spectators, isn't it? Yeah. Well, he's um, whoever it is. He took uh, William Carlos Williams along to the to a baseball match. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I really I, I like the the idea of you know they're they're trying to engage him in in the in the game and he's uh, sort of at first <laughs> fascinated by and then after a while horrified by the uh, just the nature of the crowd of a crowd. Yeah, it's, the, bo- it it's, like the, it's the bottom of the ninth, Billy. Hey, yeah. Billy, <laughs> Billy, put down your notebook. <laughs> <laughs> I quite like that. Just the, yeah, he he's sort of in that way separating himself from the rest of of sort of humanity almost isn't he again maybe maybe this is another of these kind of you know the, the 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 role of the poet oh very 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 much so yeah yes um well i tell you what just as a little um bonus the poem immediately before this one in this volume spring and all is this poem here why don't you hit us up with this one which one the red wheelbarrow oh this was said it was one of his most famous ones okay The Red Wheelbarrow by William Carlos Williams. So much depends upon a red wheelbarrow glazed with rainwater beside the white chickens. That's his most anthologised poem. Yeah. Is it? Uh, Okay. That's amazing. (laughs) (laughs) Be honest, do you like it? Yeah. (laughs) I mean, that that is... um... That's the kind of uh, the the spirit of Im- imagism, isn't it? Kind of condensed. That's 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 precisely it. That's like a, that's like a senryu. Like it's, like, it's it's very much like the um, the pound poem. Um, what's it called? In a station on the metro. Uh, it's yeah. It's a similarly minuscule. I'll tell you why this is this is the most popular poem and one of the most popular poems. Because it's so short. So short, yeah. <laughs> so you go, that wow, that's it, I've read a poem. I've done a poem. I've <laughs> yeah. just done a poem. And I understood it all. Every word of it. Um, I think I, I say senryu because senryu is, is exactly like a haiku. Right. Haiku is when it's exclusively natural imagery and a senryu when it has sort of uh, man-made elements. A haiku is a natural one, but a yeah. sen, what's it called? Sen, senryu. It's I should a, know this. S-E-N-R-Y-U. A senryu. Senryu. And that's when it has man-made elements in yeah, it? Yeah, I think it's when it's like not of the natural okay. world. So if it's like, if it's yeah. like, or if it's, if it's you, if it's your experience, you know, yeah. I walked down a street, I saw a black badger. 
um, you know, blah, blah, blah. blah. I I was put very much in mind of a genre of programming with with which I'm sure we are all familiar, which is the... um, the kind of what's the word? I won't say hagiographic hag- tone, but you know these BB- the BBC Four programs about bands. Oh yeah, hour long. You know how they made this song. Yeah, behind the music. Know, behind the music, um, and they have quite a reverential. It's all full of import, isn't it? You know, then 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 Barry went down to Hailing Island. Yeah, that's right, and. Of course, he met Dave, who was in The Sandmen, and then... I've seen all those You've seen all those documentaries. <laughs> and um, it, it, they, were, they were all sitting around in, in 1914, 1913, discovering haikus and Japanese poetry, I believe. No doubt. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so much depends upon a red wheelbarrow glazed with rainwater beside the white chickens. That's a, a really quite a brilliant bit of work, in my view. <laughs> oh, God, I don't want... It's the first line, isn't it? It's the so much depends. Yeah. That's the, that's the grabber. Without that, it is essentially a small child's poem. Yeah. A red wheelbarrow glazed with rainwater beside the white chickens. And so much depends upon it. Ironically, so much depends upon the line so much depends upon. Yes, so much depends upon the line. Absolutely. Well, it's rather like that, um, was it, uh, is it, I think it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's attributed to Hemingway, but it's not actually his, I think it was some, someone else. But, you know, the famous thing about the shortest story you could possibly mm. write. Oh, it yeah, was the, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. Um, For sale, baby shoes never worn. Yeah. And, well, that's, uh, that's a different species of thing altogether. But no, in terms of trying to pack a, a great joke. deal of mystery in, and, and, yeah. and sort of story yeah. around the yeah. minimum yeah. amount of words. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, this is like no, the smallest the, amount the, of the, words. How could you condense it? Yeah. Uh, but yet there's like so much story that you, can, you will have to fill in yeah. a mighty amount of blanks yeah. to make this make yeah. sense. Do yeah. you know what I mean? I mean, there is something remarkable about that poem. I suppose David's right. The glazed, glazed with rainwater is an unexpected turn. Yeah, and a very powerful, evocative. But graphically as well, red and white. The red wheelbarrow, the white chickens. A primary visual experience. Yeah, it's like blood and snow or something, isn't it? You know what I mean? Yeah. It also probably holds some kind of a record for where the title, which is often lifted from the verse itself, um, where the title represents sort of twenty-five percent of the verses. Yeah, and also doesn't add to the poem at all. <laughs> no, I mean the although poem without. Or, or, although, yeah, or, it's, it's, uh, if it wasn't called the red wheelbarrow, it wouldn't be half a, half a good poem, would it? No, the white chickens. Yeah. No, it has to be called the red wheelbarrow. It's about the red wheelbarrow. Yeah, that's a good poem. I, this is the one I like the most so far. <laughs> right, what's next? Uh, so this is uh, another one called the uh, the artist. I'm not sure when this was published. Mister T bareheaded in a soiled undershirt, his hair standing out on all sides, stood on his toes, heels together, arms gracefully for the moment, curled above his head. Then he whirled about, bounded into the air, and with an entrechat, perfectly achieved, completed the figure. My mother... Taken by surprise, where she sat in her invalid's chair, was left speechless. Bravo! she cried at last, and clapped her hands. The man's wife came from the kitchen. What goes on here? she said. But the show was over. And that was called The Artist. Do you want to have another crack at that, somebody? Uh, The Artist. Mr T, 
bareheaded in a soiled undershirt, his hair standing out on all sides, stood on his toes, heels together, arms gracefully for the moment curled above his head. Then he whirled about, bounded into the air, and with an entrechat perfectly achieved, completed the figure. My mother, taken by surprise where she sat in her invalid's chair, was left speechless. Bravo, she cried at last and clapped her hands. The man's wife came from the kitchen. What goes on here, she said. But the show was over. <laughs> I mean, there seems to me there's a little bit of the red wheelbarrow about that. A little bit about the um, the mysterious set of circumstances which you are invited as the reader to... Uh, to uh, to put together, and in contradistinction to uh, the last words of my English grandmother, which quite clearly sets up the scenario. Um, this one's just called the artist. So either there is something biographical about him being an artist, or there's something in this act of uh, this pirouette he achieves. I, I, I tell you what, an entrechat is. Oh yeah, please. A, a leap during which a dancer beats his or her heels together mm. right and he had perfectly achieves this entrechat and completed the figure so there's something there's something in this poem which obviously is quite funny but also we don't know what the scenario is we don't really know where we are he's bareheaded in a soiled undershirt with his hair standing out on all sides so he sounds like a oh he's a crazy artist crazy artist yeah and we end up, we realise we're in his kitchen, or though she, the wife's coming in from the kitchen, so we're in his house. And for some reason, William Carlos Williams is with his mother in her invalid's chair, presumably a wheelchair. So the, the, the scene kind of unfurls itself in this odd way, where we get this sort of scenario, but we then kind of find out a little bit more about where we were all along and who was there. And then it ends in this extremely dryly funny way. But the show was over. Yeah, maybe a dryly funny way, or maybe quite a poignant way. Oh, it's definitely poignant. But I mean, there's a sort of sadness, isn't there? She, she's missed the show, and he's not going to be able to do this again because he's old. I, I, what? You think Mr. T's not going to be able to do it again? Well, there, isn't this just some kind of bizarre moment of? Uh, Wait, almost... what are you talking about, fool? <laughs> <laughs> he's bareheaded, someone, but, someone but for his Mohican. <laughs> But Mr. T rather 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 suggests like um, you know it's like a uh, it's like a doctor a doctor's report, isn't it? Yeah. Um, uh, where they where they redact the names. Can I link this poem to the previous poem? Not the red wheelbarrow, but to the at the ball game. You poem. can do whatever you like. Um, I am conscious of time, but I'll just say you said it was darkly funny, or David said it was maybe poignant at the end there. And obviously, the last line is is one of those ones where the last line is completely different to the rest of the poem and it changes it somehow. Because um, all the rest of the way through, it's just this 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 comic um, vignette. But the show was over. Meaning what? It's it's not that he can't the, the artist couldn't theoretically do it again. It's not even that the wife cares. It's not that the wife is disappointed that she's missed it, or even that she couldn't ask him to repeat it. The point is that life took place. Life happened, and there is therefore there's this. You had to be there. It's more than, than you had to be there. It's that the, the position that the wife is in at the end is disconnected from the energetic expression of life which has taken place. Yeah, the spontaneous evervescence of a moment which is unrepeatable yeah. and 
you can never go back. And uh, they were in this, they were in this frail travelling coincidence, so to speak, of a moment that happened, and it somehow was experienced by William Carlos Williams, his mother, right, and yeah. the artist, and that anyone outside of that spontaneous moment of occurrence will never really understand it, and it's sort of indescribable to them. It's always forever lost in time to anyone who wasn't there experiencing it. So it's all yeah. about the nature of experience and about the nature of. Is this ineffa- ineffable quality itself. of 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 energetic expression. Yeah. And it, and the fact that the show was over, that just draws attention to what has happened. Yeah. I suppose Poignant is right in a sense, but almost it's almost, he's it's, it's, it's implying that this is a state we're all almost permanently always in. Well, there's something, there's something sad about the detail of the fact that his mother is in her invalid's chair, that it, that it, that it rouses her to delight, clapping her hands and shouting bravo at the, at the artist. Yeah, but that also serves to draw attention to the, the crazy, amazing thing. And the fact that it's so pointless and crazy and amazing. It was amazing because it astonished her and she enjoyed it so much. Yeah. But also that he was once a child with a young mother and now he's a middle-aged man with an elderly mother in an invalid's chair. I don't think I can articulate what I think this poem is about. Well, thank God you're <laughs> on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> But I think I can't express what, what he's trying to say here because I think he's, ex- he's, he's expressed it. There is something that he's trying to get at here, isn't there, about the difference between the life, the moment, the, the energy that's happened and the fact that we are somehow separate from it. Mm. I like the, the fact that there are four distinct um, sort of characters within it. So you can sort of see this um, little moment from four different points of view, one of which is somebody who didn't even see it. Mm. Um, yeah, who's arguably the most important one? But yeah, so you've got this guy who's somehow, despite his age, capable of doing this extraordinary, brilliant thing, which uh, is you know sort of so amazing that it sort of baffles and bewilders its main audience, who who belatedly kind of um, realizes how special the thing was. Then you've got the kind of detached observer that is obviously Williams himself, and then you've got the the person who doesn't even get to see it. And has missed it. Has missed the missed their chance. It's sort of four very different views of the same of the same little incident. Yeah, it's worth mentioning that this is this is a I don't know exactly what the uh, technical uh, description is for this, but it's a sort of a shaped poem. Um, I don't know how it's formatted. Well, no, it's not. You don't see the formatting on Poem Hunter there. Uh, I just noticed. Funny, you should say that that someone uh, had at the bottom complained that it's not formatted in the way that it's supposed to be. Well, it's in it's in groups of. Uh, each line is broken into three, uh, as it were, one or two words or a few words on the far left, one or two words in the middle and one or two words on the far right on three separate lines. So Mr. T on the left, bareheaded in the middle and in a soiled undershirt at right, and then his hair standing out on all sides stood on his toes. Heels together as on the left, arms gracefully in the middle for the moment, and so on down through the poem, all the way to the end, that pattern ending. Came from the kitchen on the left. What goes on here, she said in the middle, and but the show was over on the right. Mm-hmm. So it's in these sort of staggered, stepped, uh, what they're they called, uh, stanzas with three lines, uh, tercets, I believe. Yeah. Uh, I don't, not to particularly any any particular evident effect, but uh, just worth mentioning that he's taken that uh, trouble to to uh, to format it in that way. 
You see that in the beat poets quite a bit, actually. Don't yeah, you? very much so. Should we move to our conclusion, gentlemen? Yes, I think we probably should. We've had a couple of hours at it already. Are we any further with William Carlos Williams? Hmm. <laughs> no, no, not really. I mean, I, 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 I have at least the last few poems I have enjoyed a bit more. I still feel like, um, I don't feel like we've landed on uh, anything um, that we could consider a, a, a consistent enough style to get a sense of his character or personality or his writing as, a, as a, an overview of the whole thing. Um, very interesting, though. All, all of the poems are very interesting. Yeah, David. Anything from you? Yeah, I've I've kind of feel still slightly, I don't know, unconvinced, I suppose. But then you know, I, I'm always prepared to give the benefit of the doubt. So, yeah, clearly you can't you can't judge a, a, a poet based on um, such a small selection. Um, but yeah, it, it's a bit like sort of for me listening, you know, sort of listening to jazz or something. It's just a thing I don't really get because I haven't really got any kind of grounding in it at all um yeah that's not to say I haven't quite enjoyed reading these poems but I haven't felt particularly uh you know moved or um edified uh really no me neither I like the red wheelbarrow other than that not so much but yeah, that, I'm always prepared to be, you know, that that's, that's, it could easily be my problem. <laughs> well, that's very generous and uh, uh, showing due humility, which, of course, we should all exhibit. I mean, I guess there is a bit of a mystery around his work. There's something elliptical about a lot of it, and I suppose it is very much epitomised by, by the two very famous poems, the, the Red Wheelbarrow and This Is Just To Say, um, that do tend towards hinting and alluding to things outside of the language that he's using. His achievement, his verse, is a little bit hard to pin down. But having said all of that, I mean, I think it is just worth saying that, one, I mean, staring us in the face is the fact that he started off with the pro, whatever it was called, the postlude, which was, um, you know, a, 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 a visibly, uh, if not risibly, um, uh, archaic poem. I'm not saying it was, of course, risible. I wouldn't presume, but it is. It certainly it was. It was oozing, um, you know, uh, all of those kind of archaic tropes that, um, you know, the, 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 the sort of people's worst idea of poetry, isn't it? You know, um, you know, yeah. uh, you are my Carthage, blah blah blah. And we have seen him move into uh, an incredibly um, contemporary, almost, style. I mean, that last poem we read certainly, um, you know, is, is, is very much uh, the post-war and going into the Beats thing. So I don't think that that is his achievement, because I think there is more to it than that. Um, but that is certainly part of his achievement. Well, funnily enough, what it really reminds me of is that poem about a poet that recommended this to us in the first place, 68 Degrees. He writes just like this. Does he? Yeah, it's very much in this style. Yeah, particularly the grandmother one. That was very very similar to the sorts of stuff he writes. Well, there you go then. It's been influential. Yeah. Um, I'll just finish with... Oh, I um, think you should actually. Give us the whole bit. Give us the whole thing. Well... Because we were saying earlier on that he wrote the introduction to How, which well, you very impressively... Just plucked it, from the shelf. Plucked it, and quite a nice old-looking... This is the old City Lights version, mate. Oh, no, it's not. It is. Yeah, City Lights. 
Look at that. You just pulled a City Lights edition of Howl off your bookcase there. Yeah, mate. And you're going to read the, the Well, I won't read the whole thing. I think you should. No, well, I can do very quickly. It's this Howl, uh, this is the introduction to Howl, Allen Ginsberg's Howl. He says, when he was younger, when I was younger, I used to know Allen Ginsberg, a young poet living in Patterson, New Jersey, where he, son of a well-known poet, had been born and grew up. He was physically slight of build and mentally much disturbed by the life which he had encountered about him during those first years after the First World War, as it was exhibited to him in and about New York City. He was always on the point of going away, where it didn't seem to matter. He disturbed me. I never thought he'd grow to, he'd live to grow up and write a book of poems. His ability to survive, travel and go on writing astonishes me. That he has gone on developing and perfecting his art is no less amazing to me. Now he turns up 15 or 20 years later with an arresting poem. Literally he has, from all the evidence, been through hell. On the way, he met a man named Carl Solomon, with whom he shared among the teeth and excrement of this life something that cannot be described, but in the words he has used to describe it. It is a, it is a howl of defeat. Not defeat at all, for he has gone through defeat as if it were an ordinary experience, a trivial experience. Everyone in this life is defeated, but a man, if he be a man, is not defeated. It is the poem, Allen Ginsberg, who has gone in his own body through the horrifying experiences described from life in these pages. The wonder of the thing is not that he has dis survived, but that he, from the very depths, has found a fellow whom he can love, a love he celebrates without looking aside in these poems. Say what you will, he proves to us, in spite of the most debasing experiences that life can offer a man, the spirit of love survives to ennoble our lives if we have the wit and the courage and the faith and the art to pers persist it is the belief in the art of poetry that has gone hand in hand with this man into his Golgotha from that charnel house similar in every way to that of the Jews in this past war but this is our own country our own fondest purlieus we are blind and live our blind lives out in blindness. Poets are damned, but they are not blind. They see with the eyes of the angels. This poet sees through and all around the horrors he partakes of in the, most, in the very intimate details of his poems. He avoids nothing, but experiences it to the hilt. He contains it, claims it as his own, and we believe laughs at it and has the time and effrontery to love a fellow of his choice and record that love in a well-made poem. Hold back the edges of your gowns, ladies. We are going through hell. William Carlos Williams. That's pretty amazing. And he was 72 when he wrote that. 72 when he wrote that. And Ginsberg was obviously a boy, a lad at that point. I, well, I, think, I think early 30s. That, that's a very fitting uh, end to hear. Well, I suppose it's a handing over of the baton, so to speak, of uh, being an American 20th century uh, poet to, um, to the next generation, which was to say, uh, I suppose, most embodied and characterised by Allen Ginsberg as the sort of founding member and um, sort of uh, key poet in the Beat Generation. Gentlemen, thank you so much for joining me this evening on our sortie hmm. into William Carlos Williams. Perhaps we should tackle Ginsburg. Maybe. Ginsburg is Ginsburg is heavy man. He's big. <laughs> well we have got a couple of ideas for Yeah we've got a few we've got a few lined up haven't we? Uh, David, thank you very much. Thanks very much indeed for having me as always. I would just like to say thank you to the listener for joining us. Like this is quite quite a long podcast so apologies for the rambling. Well, we'll chop it we'll chop it down a little bit, get it under two hours. 
Um, uh, let me just quickly say that you can contact us at poetrypodcats at gmail.com and you can follow us on Twitter at poetrypodcats. Okay. Thank you again for joining us.